6. We're going to be in verses 25 through 34. Um, and we're going to look at more on the waste of worry. The, the title of this sermon series is Winning Over Worry. If any year in my life um, presented opportunities to worry, it's 2020. In, a, in addition to, you know, uh, later this month I'm turning 60. And that's kind of one of those milestone birthdays, you know. And I have some people here in the sanctuary looking at me like, you young pup. Um, but compared to everyone that's younger than me, I'm, I'm an old dog. Um, so it, it's, um, I think the theological term is it's tripping me out a little bit. Um, turning six, 60, you know. I'm still in my 50s. I'm like 59.94 years old now. <laughs> But here, here in a, a few weeks, I'm going to be turning 60. And so, um, you know, it, it, something else, right? An opportunity to descend into worry. There's nothing to worry about there. But, you know, um, there's plenty in 2020 to worry about. So we're going to address this again more on the ways to worry. I want you to read along with me as I read to you Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34. These are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is part of the, the greatest sermon ever preached. Called We call it now the Sermon on the Mount that, that is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It wouldn't hurt to take some time to read several times through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. But today we're going to be in chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They did not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord, the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I want to summarize quickly um, some of the things we covered last week. Worry is useless. Fog can blanket a city for seven blocks in every direction and be as, as much as 100 feet high. But if you could take that fog and condense it into water, it would only fill up a single little glass. Worry is like a gigantic fog that can blind you and cause you to take your eyes off the Lord. But when you see worry for what it really is, you realize that it's nothing more than a little glass of water. When you try to actually grab onto worry that you're consumed with, it's so fleeting 
that it isn't even there. Jesus is saying, God will guide you through the fog of worry if you let him lead the way. He alone can overcome your worries. We must continually ask ourselves, what kind of father do we have? What kind of father do we have? We must then trust him to help us overcome worry. Remember, worry is a waste. Worry is useless. Why? For the simple reason that God will meet our material needs. So, moving on now, let's look at, at verses 31 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, and discover that worry is unbelief. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The core issue of worry is unbelief, including fear of the future. In verse 31, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Jesus here is repeating something that he prohibited in verse 25. And again, he indicates here, Don't ask questions regarding God's ability to provide. Trust God to meet your needs. Did God take care of you yesterday? What about the day before that? Then how come you're worried today? Worry is a waste. And then in verse 32, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus gives us two reasons why we shouldn't worry. For the pagans run after all these things, he says. In Jesus' day, the pagans are the unconverted, those who didn't believe in the one true and living God. They pursued, um, grasped at, strived for food and drink and clothing because they didn't know God as a loving Father. They were tormented by anxiety because they believed their future was in the hands of fate with a capital F and fortune with a capital F. They believed in these impersonal forces somewhere out there that were impacting them and not always for the good. When we worry, we're acting just like unbelievers. Our worries must not sound like the worries of the world around us. When we're getting tested for COVID-19, what comes out of our mouth should be different than the person before us who was not a believer. When we're short of money, even for the essentials, our attitude and tone should be different than those around us. Imagine if our governor or our mayor said, those Christians who we've called intolerant fanatics are coping with worry much better than we are. They don't complain. They don't show worry. Instead, they're seeking to comfort others and to meet their needs. We must realize that it's going to be really difficult in a long-term thing, if ever, to reclaim our culture. Probably that ship has sailed. But we can reclaim the church. We need to make sure that the church is distinct in how it handles worry. And when the church is distinct, we will draw people out of the culture 
into the kingdom of God, and that's how we make the impact. You know what? Your heavenly Father knows. I want you to hang on to that. Your heavenly Father knows. The second reason not to worry is found in verse 32. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And He's referring to all these things. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your heavenly, Jesus says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Does He know? Yes. How do we know He knows? Jesus said He does. Again, just like in verse 26, Jesus refers to your heavenly Father. It's a personal statement to you as an individual, to every follower of Jesus Christ. Who is God in heaven? Your heavenly Father. God knows what you need. And He'll provide for your needs. He'll provide for your needs, not your greeds. Your necessities, not necessarily luxuries. When my children were growing up, they never worried about their next meal or whether they'd have clothes to wear the next day. That's because they trusted it, that as their father, I would provide for their needs. When we worry, we're unintentionally questioning God's care and provision. We're indicting God as father. It's also worth noting as we reflect on God as father, that God often meets needs through his children. So, we must reach out to those who have needs in our church and in our community. After providing us here two reasons not to worry, Jesus lays out the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I have recited this verse more than any other verse in the Bible since I have become a believer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There, there are passages in the Old Testament that, that I still scratch my head at sometimes. Um, I don't seem to be capable of memorizing all the genealogies with those names I've never seen once in my day and time, you know. But I can wrap my mind around this. I, I, can, I have this verse memorized. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I think this is such a hopeful verse. So full of promise and, and such a practical demonstration of God's love and a demonstration of what God asks of me. Um, seek Him first. Seek first His kingdom. Let Him be Lord and rule and reign in my life. And His righteousness, the, His standards of relationship to myself, to Him, to others, to His Son, and all these things will be given to you as well. If I will just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, if you will just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, everything else is a gift from God. What an amazing way to live life. Gifted by your heavenly Father with all that you truly need. His kingdom is His rule and His righteousness are His standards. Jesus' promise is that all these things will be given to you as well. The word but at the beginning of this, but seek first, um, contrasts 
disciples with the unconverted, the followers of Jesus Christ, who by faith in Him are born again and given eternal salvation, forgiven and cleansed and made whole with their Father, and those who are unconverted and have not experienced any of that. Jesus then issues a command, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. The word seek is a verb tense known as the present tense imperative. It means it's a command. It means it's always in the now. It's something that you are commanded to do now. And now. And now. What are you to be doing? Seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Always, actively, in the present. Always be seeking like this unceasing quest. In the ancient world, this Greek word that we translate into English, seek, referred to a philosophical investigation that could mean a lifelong pursuit. So the verb seek was also used in that time to describe the activity of a hunter. It means making an effort. It's a pursuit You stalk it. You pursue it. You look for the signs that you're getting close. You make it your target. You zero in on it. This means that if we're to be anxious about anything in this life, it should be the affairs of God's kingdom. We must be consumed with the kingdom, with seeing God's reign and rule over us, over our families, over our church. We must expend ourselves for the lost people of the world. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus urged His disciples to pray. He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. Then, after that, He challenged them to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Matthew chapter 6 verse 11. So, notice the order there. God's kingdom comes even before our daily physical needs. That's how important it is. That's the right order when you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. At the end of verse 33 in today's passage, Jesus moves from a command to a promise. All these things will be given to you as well. Wow. All these things. What is it that you truly need in life that that God's going to give you? A little bit of it? All these things. All these things will be given to you as well. These physical and material necessities will be given to you as well. At the beginning of verse 33, Jesus specifically limits this promise to those who obey, who seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Rather than a blanket promise, this is a conditional promise that's dependent upon seeking first His kingdom by me and by you. But... We can do that. We are invited to do that. And as we do that, the Lord meets our needs. Now, let me pause right here because you may be asking a legitimate question. But is the promise of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 always fulfilled? In other words, what if God doesn't take care of me? What if He doesn't? What about the thousands of Christians who will die this year from cancer or from car accidents or from cardiac arrest, from COVID-19? 
What about Christians who are starving to death? Man, if, if you watch the international news, it doesn't get much play in America. Sometimes you have to kind of go look for it. But, but Christians in certain countries of the world are experiencing savage persecution. In communist China, it's brutal. Um, in parts of Africa, Nigeria, Sudan, and other parts of Africa, brutal. Um, didn't God promise to take care of them too? Those Christians who are being driven from their homes, who are losing their jobs, who are being imprisoned and worked to death, who are being tortured and killed? It's important to realize here that Jesus isn't saying there will never be anyone, there will not ever be anyone who starves or faces death in other ways. Jesus does not always meet our needs in a physical way. For some of us it, that have grown up in, in a, a standard of luxury compared to the rest of the world in the United States, that's kind of hard for us to wrap our, our minds around. Sometimes Jesus chooses to meet our needs in spiritual ways. Um, and rather being lesser, that may even be the greatest way he could meet our needs. And one such way that Jesus meets our needs and fulfills his promises to us is by taking us home to be with him. Because we have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by taking us home to be with him in heaven forever. Where there's no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. There are other times where God will provide a season of apparent want to teach His children to trust Him, to turn to Him, or to grow in Christ-likeness through the season of life. So can we count on God or not? I believe we can. I know in my life that I can. First, we need to remember the context here. Jesus is talking about people serving money instead of God. In verse 24 of this chapter, his point is that we won't die on account of being too generous. Furthermore, Jesus uses the phrase, all these things, in verses 32 and 33. All these things, food and drink and clothes, will be given to you as well. Jesus, God knows that we need clothes. God knows that we need food and drink to live. And He'll give us all the clothes, all the food, all the drink to live until He wants us to die. And for the believer, to live is Christ, to die is gain, the Apostle Paul said. Because to die is to go to heaven, to be directly in God's presence forever and ever, without end. Hallelujah! So... Worry is a waste. So do not worry. It is that simple. So do not worry. Verse 34 at the end of this passage is like a PS at the end of a letter or an email. But it's, it's a very important statement. Here Jesus states in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. For the third and final time in this passage, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Three times he says it. What does he say three times? Do not worry about tomorrow. I haven't worried about tomorrow since my first thoughts when I was waking up today. (laughs) I have a full week this coming week. And I woke up this morning thinking about stuff I have to do tomorrow. And I prayed through. (laughs) So I'm with y'all. You know. If, if it's a challenge and takes deliberate effort for you to, to stay in the here and now and, and live today, today, and trust God for what you need today, today, and let tomorrow come around whenever it comes around and not worry, pick it up today, then I'm right there with you, okay? This is real life. Um, each day has enough trouble of its own. The third time, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Worry isn't the root problem. The root issue is lack of trust in God. Worry is removing our trust in God and thinking we have to pick it up and take care of it because nobody else, including God, is going to. Jesus then gives two reasons we shouldn't worry, okay? First, reason he gives here is tomorrow will worry about itself. The problem with worrying about tomorrow is we never run out of tomorrows, right? We must learn to live life one day at a time. God only gives us today the help that we need for today. He doesn't give us tomorrow's help today. He gives us help for today, today. So we must not worry about what we're going to do tomorrow because when we get to tomorrow, God's grace will be there to meet us and give us what we need then. Look at your calendar. Your calendar gives each day its own number. So live them in that order. Today is the ninth. Okay, live, live in the ninth today. Live them in that order, just as God arranged them. Stay in one square at a time. One at a time. Okay? Now, a second reason not to worry. Jesus says, each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will have its challenges and trials, no matter how hard you try to prevent them. Jesus is saying, live one day at a time. Jesus is saying we won't sink under the burdens of today's crisis, but adding tomorrow's agenda puts us over the weight limit. So if we just have to worry, don't ever start until tomorrow. Today's grace is for today's trials. And when tomorrow's trials come, God will have new grace waiting for us there. You trust him in that? It's interesting to observe that Jesus seems to talk about tomorrow as if it were a person. Let that person called tomorrow do his own worrying. The devil, Satan, can certainly use our propensity to worry against us. The word trouble 
in the Greek, each day has enough trouble of its own, is also the Greek word for evil. Each day has enough evil of its own. Oftentimes, worry and the devil, worry and evil are the same. Worry can cripple us. It can even paralyze us from doing the Lord's will today. This is proof, I think, that the devil is often behind our worrying. When we worry, we take our eyes off of our Father who is our provider. And that gives Satan a great deal of pleasure if we do that. So, let's not play into his hands. What we can do. So what can we do with all our worry woes right now? There are some things we can do. First, remove negative what-if scenarios. Are any of you all given to to running these what-if scenarios, these hypothetical what-if scenarios, and just camping there and getting all twisted up over what-if? It's so easy to borrow worry, but we must not allow ourselves to dwell upon the worries of tomorrow, especially when they haven't even happened. It may not ever happen. That means we need to stop scanning the news and the social media to decide how we should feel about life. They can be destructive to our peace. We need to actively control our thought lives. Every thought comes either from ourselves, from God, or from evil from the devil. And so when you have thoughts just come into your mind seemingly out of nowhere, um, you need to address where that came from. And if you're not sure by the Spirit confirming that the Word says it, that it came from God, maybe you need to cast that thought out. Speak to that intrusive thought and say, I command you in Jesus' name and by the power of His shed blood to go from me, never to return, to go where Jesus Christ sends you. You can take control of your thoughts and you can let the power of Jesus Christ Himself protect your mind and your thought life. We need to actively control our thought life. Second, release your worry to God. Every time we're tempted to worry, we need to pray. What do we need to do every time we're tempted to worry? Pray. Our prayer should be, give us today our daily bread. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Let God take care of today's problems today. Trust Him to do that. Ask Him to do that. If you're a chronic worrier, here's something that I think works. Get a shoe box or or some box. Maybe you ordered something online and, and a small box came. Tape it shut. Cut a small slit in the top and when you when you start worrying and and you're worried about that becoming a problem you you take this worry box that you've made and whenever you feel tempted to worry write your worry on a piece of paper drop it in the box and you can say as you do that lord this is my concern it has the potential to become a worry you have told me not to worry so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to put it in my worry box and let you take responsibility for it And say that prayerfully. And then honor the prayer that you've prayed before God. Anything that I put in this box will be there because I can't handle it. Once it's in the box, I'm going to trust you, God, 
to handle it for me. Third, replace worry with worship. Worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. You're either worshiping or you're worrying. When you feel worry coming on, sing a hymn or a chorus or some song, Christian song that's meaningful to you. A song that focuses on God's attributes. As you worship, ask God for contentment. Contentment is simply being satisfied with what the Lord has brought into your life at the present time. Just thank God for that. Recognize Him for having supplied it. And thank Him. Are you content with working from home? Are you content with spending time with your family and few others? Are you content with worshiping virtually? A heart of contentment is a heart of worship. And a heart of worship is a heart of contentment. Christopher Hitchens, the late atheist, wrote in one of his leading books, There is no escape from anxiety and struggle. And Hitchens died as an atheist with no hope. Now, at this point, let me say to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got good cause to be worried. The Bible says that without Jesus, we're lost and without hope in the world. Why? Because we have a problem called sin. And the penalty for sin is death. An eternal conscious existence in the punishment of hell. Our sins must be and will be judged. If we don't place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and serve Him as our Lord, then when we die, our soul goes immediately to hell as the just punishment for our sin. So if you're not a Christian, you got plenty to worry about. And the best thing I could do for you is to make you face that and not turn away. But if you are a Christian, you got nothing to worry about. So today, will you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Will you give Him your worries? Will you confess your sins to Him and ask Him to save you now and for eternity? I want to share with you in that process, if you're doing that today, um, you can send a private message to our Facebook page, or you can email me, rickstapp1, R-I-C-K-S-T-A-P-P-1, at gmail.com. Give me your phone number. I'll give you a call. I'd love to be with you as you come to realize that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I am born again and I will live forever in heaven. I would love to share that moment with you. So reach out to me if you're doing that today, please. It would be my honor and my privilege. Will you give him your worries? Worry is a waste. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us that you are our Heavenly Father, that you love us, that you are for us, that you have given your Son that we might be saved by faith. 
in Jesus Christ, that your grace, your unmerited favor, your goodness and your love has been extended to us and all we have to do is receive it. We need to admit that we are sinners, that we have gone astray, that we have done that which is against your will and your word and that we're sorry. We repent. We turn and go the other direction by faith in Jesus Christ. Come and forgive us and save us now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we can leave this time to lead others to saving faith in Jesus Christ, to serve them in in their felt needs today, to be different than the world around us, to bring you glory and honor and praise, and to share um, our faith in Jesus Christ with each other. Lord, thank you for the privilege of having gathered to worship you today. And as we go, may we go to love you, to worship you, and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you.